0: Hi, I'm Jeff Ebert. Welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, where we look at God's good news for imperfect people like you and me, and we are in the Gospel of John. If you're new to this podcast, you really ought to start at the beginning so that you can get the full context and flavor of what we've been doing here in the Gospel of John. But we are in a long passage in John chapter 8, and we're going to finish up chapter 8 today. So this is season one. Episode 25, and our title today is You Gotta Serve Somebody from John 8, starting with verse 33. We're going to go all the way through to verse 39, so there's a lot to cover today. But before we get into that, I just want to apologize. I've been wanting to do a special uh, Zoom event for supporters of Gospel Wabi Sabi. I'm going to have to change that. It was supposed to be next Wednesday, and there have just been some uh, circumstances beyond my control that... Necessitate me uh, picking a new date. I don't have that date yet, but I will get it to you as soon as possible for all my supporters. I do appreciate uh, your encouragement, and I want to do something special for us to be able to get together. So uh, I'll give you further information about uh, when we're going to do our Zoom gathering for supporters in just a little while. But today, again, we are in John chapter 8, and if you want to turn there, we're going to have a long passage. To read through today and then we'll look at it together okay as you remember jesus has been in a long conflict with the uh, religious leaders in the temple as he's come to the festival of booths or succoth and this uh Argument is still going on. It's still very intense. And in fact, we're going to see it become even more intense as time progresses uh, today. Jesus has just given this great phrase that we love now, but really infuriated people back then when he said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this begins verse 33. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, and yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I grew up loving the music of Bob Dylan, and years ago, uh, he he wrote a a song called "You Got to Serve Somebody." Here's the first verse. I'll just read it. I'll, I won't sing it for you. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You got to have some. You're gonna have to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to have to serve somebody. Dylan put to music a simple truth that Jesus taught almost 2,000 years ago in the passage we're looking at today. At some point in life, we have to recognize that there is a fork in the road and you have to choose. You have to decide where your allegiance lies, with God or against him. We pick up where we lift off last week. Jesus has just uttered what you might think are some of the most hopeful words ever. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You'd think this would get a positive response, but no. Jesus' claim to bring spiritual freedom further annoyed his critics and added fuel to the fire of this verbal conflict. Jesus' words are so powerful. They're so beautiful because they always uh, provoke a reaction the religious leaders who surrounded him in Jerusalem temple this day didn't like his claim to bring freedom. So they immediately sprang. well, we've never been in bondage to everyone. We've never been slaves. We don't need to be set free. Now we know that factually that's not true. The Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh for at least 400 years. They were enslaved many times during the period of the judges. They were slaves for 70 years in exile <coughs> Excuse me, under the Babylonians and while they are speaking, they are under the heel of Rome. So how is it that they could say that they are not slaves to anyone? Well, what they're talking about was not their bodies. What they were saying is that in their spirits, they were never in bondage. They never had given into their captives. The Jewish people had this great, fiery, independent spirit that basically said, you can kill me, but you can't hurt me. To suggest to a Jew that he or she was a slave in any way was a terrible insult. Part of their culture was to think of themselves as free because they were special in the sight of God. One Jewish historian put it this way, in talking about the story of Joseph, and I quote, Joseph was sold to be a bond slave, yet he was free, all radiant in his soul, unquote. That was the Jewish spirit. Jesus' words went against what they believed, and it really frosted them. Jesus goes on to explain what he means. He wasn't talking about political slavery. He was talking about their bondage to sin. And he's talking to us too. We're in the same situation with sin. Now, I mean sin with a capital S, this broken relationship with God, the separation from God. It has worked its way deep into the very fabric of our, our, our innermost selves. Our world and our very nature isn't the way God intended it to be. It's damaged, distorted, bent out of shape. And so we have a distorted view of ourselves and our world. It's twisted and off balance, off center. And there's nothing that we can do about it. There's no human remedy. And this is the week of Easter. So we're all celebrating the fact that God had to intervene. It's only through God's remedy in Christ. The sin, this brokenness is subtle. It's not just the overt, outward, visible signs of slavery, big things that people might usually think of, like alcohol or drugs or bad habits or food or whatever it might be, the whole range of addictions that enslave people, and the overt, very visible sins like anger and murder and exploitation, violence, racism. Sin works its way even into the small cracks of our soul and personality to the places where we struggle and wonder, why, why can't I be the person I want to be? The insidious sins that captivate us without us even being aware. Selfishness. We're actually enslaved to ourselves. Our first thought constantly, you know, is about us, about me first. That's a form of slavery. Or maybe a slavery to lying and you have no sensitivity to it. We get into the habit of shading the truth, of coloring our stories, exaggerating, and in some ways we can become pathological liars. And that's a type of slavery. Maybe it's slavery to just having a negative spirit. Most of our outlook or conversations, if we charted them, do they come out negative? People who get in that gear and can't get out of it, you know, that's a hard way to live. Slaves looking at life negatively. The classic statement before anything he says is, the problem is, or yes, but. And so we need to soften that negative spirit. So a slavery to sin, the kinds of things that can really trap us, a a cycle of thinking and feeling and behaving that we cannot break on our own to all of us caught in this web. Jesus said the truth is in me. That truth, that relationship will make you free from the insidiousness of slavery. If the Son sets you free, you can be free indeed. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Brennan Manning. I first met Brennan Manning about 1986. He has a tremendous story of how Jesus set him free because he was a Roman Catholic priest at the time and he went from being a Catholic priest to a skid row alcoholic. And I mean the kind of guy you'd walk around on a New York City street corner, sleeping on a steam grate, you know. But God eventually set him free, redeemed him, brought him back, not just from alcohol, but changed his whole way of looking at the world. And he has amazing insights in his books about the grace of God. And his best book is one called Abba's Child. If you've Never read that by Brennan Manning. I'd really encourage it. And he struggled continually with his alcoholism, so it wasn't just a once-and-done thing for him. But he came up with such an awareness of the grace of God, and he writes this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt I hope and I get discouraged, I love and I hate, I feel bad about feeling good, I feel guilty about not feeling guilty, I am trusting and suspicious, I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I am a rational animal, but I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace really means. That's what Jesus is talking about here in setting us free. And Jesus then gives his critics a stern warning in verse 36. He says, slaves do not continue in the house. Sonship or childness means that you are always part of the home. Slaves don't have that. When Jesus is telling them, you think of yourselves as special, but the way you're acting demonstrates that you're Really, slaves and not children, not sons. You could be gone at any moment. In reality, you are sinners and you are slaves. And you could be out of the family at any time. Got to understand the dynamite in this statement. Remember, Jesus is speaking in the temple to the top religious leaders of his day, and he says, you're not sons or children of God. Imagine their reaction. And then that is followed by some of the strongest of all the statements of Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is wielding a sledgehammer here with his words in verses 37 and 38. He says, my words find no place in you. While he acknowledges that they descended from Abraham, he also says no true child of God would seek to kill the Messiah. And of course, they protest in verse 39, Abraham's our father. And once again, he just levels them. At this point, Jesus dumps the full load over the fence and he's just a hair away from being taken out and killed immediately. If you look down at verse 59, it says, they took up stones to throw him, at him. And Jesus says, if God were your father, then you would love me. Why do you not understand what I say? You are of your father, the devil. Listen to this. Yes, you're of Abraham and bodily descent, but you're not following in the faith of Abraham by trusting in God if you really trusted God, you would really love me. God would impress upon you who I am. You would be open to the leading of the Spirit of God, but instead you're trying to kill me. Some people in church circles have said to me in my past parishes, why do you always talk about Jesus Christ? Why are you so hung up on him? Why not just talk about God in a generic sense? I remember once And my previous church and area pastor said to us that you're kind of fanatically overemphasizing Jesus Christ that we're too monotheistic about the second person of the Trinity. Well, I always took that as a compliment because of what we read right here and in many other portions of Scripture. What you do with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your relationship with God. I mean, that's what Jesus taught, what you did with him. It's the most important thing. How we treat Jesus Christ determines whether or not we even have a relationship with God. I mean, that's just what Jesus said, clear as day. And people who kind of like Jesus, but they don't really look at what he actually taught. I mean, this is really hard stuff in our ecumenical and interfaith kind of age. Jesus says our treatment of him is the answer to our larger relationship with God the Father. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. Not only are they not sons or children of God, but he says that they're sons of the devil. Nobody ever spoke to the Pharisees like this. They were moral, religious, dedicated, sincere, devout people. They were the pillars of the community. Jesus says they're actually working for the opposition. They're unknowingly serving the devil. Jesus spoke often about the devil. What do you think about that? There are a lot of different opinions out there these days. Some who think, you know, smiling that the devil's a funny figure in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. It's kind of a joke. And all too often people will minimize the sense that there is an evil force in the universe. Some think good and evil are equals, that there's a duality of the yin and the yang, two sides that are basically vying for power. Well, no, that's not scriptural. The devil is in no way equal with God. The conflict between good and evil is not a contest of equals where we're not sure who's going to win. There's God is definitely winning. The Bible teaches that the devil is a fallen angel, an angel that rebelled against God and who was cast out of heaven by the archangel Michael. He is the personally existing kind of contrary to the purposes of God. And Jesus talked about him as the evil one over and over again. He referred to the devil. And he wasn't just talking about some nebulous force, but was actually speaking of a real personality. In fact, a more accurate translation of the Lord's Prayer would be, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As far as Jesus was concerned, Satan was an active living being with a distinct personality. Now, I think the devil gets credit for a lot of things that aren't the devil's fault. I mean, really, there are things that we do that are our fault, that are human fault. And you can't really say the devil made you do it because uh, that's just a cop-out on our own sinfulness and our own selfish human desires. But on the other hand, we must not get preoccupied or focused or paranoid about the devil. That There are people who do that, who see Uh, His influence about every corner, that like everything is caused by the devil and it paralyzes people. And that's really a poor theology too. To minimize or maximize the influence of the evil one, both of those extremes are unhealthy. But the most important thing to remember is that the devil is defeated. For some reason, the Lord allows the devil to exist. The powers of Satan are still apparent. But when Jesus cried out the words from the cross, it is finished. That was the funeral knell for Satan. We have the victory in Jesus Christ, and we claim the victory over Satan and all his forces, over the murderer, the father of lies. Through the devil entered the world, through sin and death entered the world, he murders goodness, he murders truth, he murders honesty, beauty, peace of mind, happiness, love. He's a murderer. Essentially, he's a killer at his core, and he also loves falsehood. Every single lie we tell has its origin in the enemy of God. He is the father of lies. And every sin has as its basis some lie that we have believed. I don't have time to go into that in detail, but that's a really important point. Every sin has as its core a lie that somebody has believed. And any person who sets out to destroy the truth is doing the devil's work. Jesus As the truth sets us free, not because he gives information to help us overcome our sins. He sets us free because at the cross, he broke the back of evil and the devil no longer has any power over us. Remember the great hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. There's a verse that says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the followers clean. His blood availed for me. That's how we are set free, by Jesus. The victory over Satan was won by Jesus, and Jesus accomplished that work of victory. So you don't have to fear the devil, but you should respect that there's a very powerful opposition to God. We don't want to focus on that. We want to focus on Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we know there's tremendous power. Some of you have probably seen the movie trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And at the end, there's this epic battle of good versus evil with a host of characters and hobbits and trolls and orcs and elves and wizards and men. The movies are very true to the books that were written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, Tolkien, you remember, was a very devout Christian, and he shows great insight into the nature of good and evil. But the last movie leaves out the final chapters of Tolkien's novel called The Scouring of the Shire. For some reason, they left this out. The great evil has been defeated. The war against evil has been won at a great cost. And so the hobbits now return to their home, their beautiful village that was called the Shire. But while they were away, one of the evil wizards named Saruman and his henchman Wormtongue, are on the run. And they're terrorizing the once beautiful Shire. They've taken over and they've enslaved the hobbits. The hobbits in the Shire are living in fear because they don't know that the war is over. But the hobbits returning from the battle, Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin, they do know that the war is won. And they are still armed for the battle. The war against evil has been won, but there's still some mopping up that has to be done back at home. And Frodo says to the followers of the evil Saruman, Your day is over. The dark tower has fallen. And there is a king in Gondor. I am a messenger of the king. You are speaking to the king's friend. Down on your knees in the road and ask pardon. You see, that so much parallels our story. The victory is won. That's what this Easter week is all about. The war against evil is won through Jesus. But we're still mopping up and there's still a lot to be done. God's kingdom is already But we're not fully experiencing it yet. And while we are here, we are messengers of the king. And we go in the king's name, in the king's power. Isn't that a great way to think of yourself? Particularly if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. To know that in this walk of life, your main purpose is to be a messenger of the king. And you have all the power of the king behind you all the authority of the king behind you to know that you're part of his family and his household. And that's a great encouragement, I think, particularly in these dark times when we think of so many things that are discouraging these days. We are messengers of the king and we go in the king's power. So don't be paranoid. Focus on Jesus. But remember that proclaiming Jesus will often provoke a response It's probably going to run into some unusual encounters because there is another team on the field. Jesus provoked a response. And you know what? We'll see that too in our day because the battle is still going on around us. There's a guy named George Shepard I know. Tells the story of once he was in New Orleans and a kind of a street guy started wandering around towards him. He was obviously a drunk and, you know, in need of something. And, George kind of shot up a prayer and he said, oh, Lord Jesus, do something for this guy. You know, he's hoping to maybe have some way to witness to this guy. And as they passed, George, you know, wasn't going to stop. As they passed, the man looked at George and said to him, don't you talk to me about your Jesus and then walked on. And George just stood there because it was a little spooky wondering, you know, what's going on? Why did he say that to me? And it was really kind of basic because the life of Jesus in George was in a diametric contrast and opposition to the power that was controlling that man. All that person could do was express that the power was too much for him and he didn't want anything to do with it. He was spooky, to be sure. But also in that, there's something very, very beautiful because you are a messenger of the king and you go in the king's power. So you got to serve somebody. Unknowingly, too many people are serving the cause of the evil one because, either passively or actively, they're rejecting the truth which is in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has broken the power of sin and sets us free. The war has been won, but there is some mopping up to do. And I hope you can say that about yourself this week. I'm a messenger of the king. I am the King's friend. Have a great week.